you got to think about who you could be impacting here. And this is private health information for a reason. Get ready for your unofficial dental hygiene podcast. These are the tales of two hygienists, one East Coast RDH and one West Coast Gygenist. Listen as they tackle the profession of dental hygiene with humor and enthusiasm. Now, please join Michelle Strange and Andrew Johnston as they tell you a tale of two hygienists. All right, welcome back everyone to another episode of A Tale of Two Hygienists. This is Andrew. This is Michelle, chewing her food. And this is episode number 148. Good job. Welcome back. We are on location. We are. This is like reminiscent of days of of yore, of old, (laughs) of past times. Of our first time that we ever met, which is very ironic since our three-year anniversary was just recently. Happy potiversary, buddy. Potiversary. So we are at... not Chicago Midwinter, we're at Greater, Greater New, New York. York. <laughs> and we always just get so excited to see our friends. We've had awesome guests. We've done quite mm-hmm. a few interviews. Yep. Very and good gone to all kind of parties. And we just love this meeting. I love this meeting. This is my first time at this meeting. And I think that this is one of the, I think, easier ones to navigate. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's a very big venue. But, you know, there's plenty of people that are out helping mm-hmm. out. I like Chicago Midwinter. That was, you know, one of my favorite ones anyway. But it does feel like everyone's kind of packed, packed, packed. Mm. This one's a little more spread out. I like New York City in general. It's one of mm-hmm. my favorite cities in the whole entire world. And so, you know, we've been able to go out and do some fun stuff. And we went See to a comedy friends. club, saw our friends. And, yeah. And, and, oh, yeah, dentistry. <laughs> and, and dental stuff. And also. dental stuff. And dental. Lots of podcasting. But, yeah, you'll have some good, um, some good episodes coming out here in the next several weeks. And I think one of my favorite parts about going to the exhibit hall is seeing our friends, right? So Zerk, of course, we always talk about Zerk. Mm-hmm. We did some pretty good um, video mm-hmm. for this, which I don't think our listeners have been able to maybe see some of the products that we're so excited about all the that time. That we try to describe in this audio podcast <laughs> and sometimes... And, and sometimes we fail miserably. <laughs> but, you know, Zerk's always been patient with us, so that's really nice. So yeah. thank you, Zerk, for doing that. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's been really fantastic to... Um, and then our producer's been here, so we got to kind of demonstrate what each one of them does. And the people that are at the booth are really excited about the hygiene side of things. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, we good. we appreciate them and their time and supporting the podcast, man. And then I think this week I'm super excited about this podcast. You've heard Noel Kelsch on the mm-hmm. podcast before, very early on, though, yeah. way back in the yeah. day. And uh, you actually weren't on that podcast. Mm-hmm. It was just Noel and I. And so I'm really excited because she came back on to talk about social media and HIPAA and the many violations that we are all guilty of. We are constantly seeing people that are doing screenshots of things on Facebook. And actually, I will tell you last night, someone showed me a screenshot from one of the private groups that you and I are in. And he was just a random dentist. Oh, my. And I was like, this is so fitting for this week's episode. So I just, I'm going to give the It's a tale of caution. Yeah. It's a warning. Everyone needs to be aware. This is not, they're not private groups. People are seeing what you're putting on there. And private health information is... Fillings, it's teeth, it's x-rays, it's all of that. It's the shoes that they're wearing while they're sitting in your dental I think chair. Noel really covers yes. like the gamut of all, all of the, those things. Yes. So make sure you guys are, you know, really paying attention to this episode. And share it. Share it. 
and live it. Yes, please. So if you want to reach out, she gives her contact information at the end, but we think you're going to really learn something from this episode with Noelle Kelsch. Hey, Michelle. Yeah? It's time for the interview. Oh, but I had something else to say. We need to let the experts talk now. Fine. Well, Noelle, welcome again to the podcast. This is actually your second time. You took a chance on us from way back when, um, <laughs> early on, but it was just me. Andrew, I don't think could make that interview. So we're ex- excited to have you back on. You know, it's been kind of funny, Michelle, because I've had a couple of people call me after hearing that infection control one that we did together, where we focused in on hand pieces. It was it's good that they're still listening to that. That's really great. We love yeah. hearing that. <laughs> yeah. You have posted a few times, and I thought that this, and Andrew and I both thought that this topic was something that really needed to be discussed, and that was more on HIPAA. You know, one of the things that I'm noticing on social media that has me very concerned is people's... Um, lack of consistency and understanding of what HIPAA is and what it is outside the office. A lot of people will say to me, yeah, we're HIPAA compliant. We always have the patient sign in confidentially. Well, signing in at the front desk is the smallest part of this whole program. So tell us what what is the bigger part of it and the things that you have like some of your biggest concerns with? Well, I, I want to, maybe I should back up here a little bit and tell you what HIPAA is. That'd be perfect. Yeah. HIPAA is the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. And it's not HIPPO and it's not PPE, it's HIPAA. And part of what we have to look at is what does it consist of? Where does it apply to us? And is it just inside the dental office? Where does your responsibility start and where does it end? Well, the big part of HIPAA is how was it created? And that might give you a really good idea here of how it applies to you. In 2000, there were many patients with newly diagnosed depression. Dealing with depression is hard enough as it is. This is a disease that affects a lot of Americans. And they received a free sample of antidepressant medication in the mail. The patients got kind of quizzical here and wondering how the pharmaceutical companies would know that they had this disease. Well, that got investigated, and the investigation showed that the physician, the pharmaceutical company, and a well-known pharmacy chain were all indicted on a breach of confidentiality charges. This is one of the many reasons that the federal government needed to step up and create guidelines to protect your patient's privacy. And those guidelines for all of us fall into the the three or four little categories that you got to be looking at here. Okay. The the first one is the standard electronic data exchange, and that's very specific on how you do transactions, how you code them, how you send them back and forth. The second is standard security for the data data systems, and then privacy protections for individuals' health information. And I I really want to go into detail of what health information needs, and we can talk about that as we go along. And then also standard national identifiers for healthcare. To have that all together, to, to understand where our role is, is so important. The 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 part that I hope that all of us are getting, and it's kind of interesting with this, in the last little while, 
Even CODA has sent out a reminder that you have to protect patients' health information. So you might be thinking that it's just their name or their initials or their patient number, but it goes much, much further than that. And what CODA sent the reminder out about was names, including initials, addresses, including zip codes, county, precinct, dates, including treatment date. So if you are online and you say, hey, yesterday I saw a patient, you just did a HIPAA violation. Admission age, the age of the patient, the date of birth, where they're from. Um, I love the one that happened in San Francisco because it's going to remind us of a lot of things. And that is two physicians leaving one of the hospitals there started to discuss a patient on the transit system. And they were telling about the patient and what happened in, in the um, in exchange in, in the emergency room. The, they went on to talk about that this patient had a dragon tattoo. Mm. They ended up getting in a lot of trouble because sitting across from them was her boyfriend. And her boyfriend reported this, and it was reported to HIPAA. And, of course, the discussion that they had was illegal. And the patient identifier can be anything from the, the tattoo that's on them to an X-ray where they've got a crown. And our crowns are specific to that individual. Telephone numbers, fax numbers, email addresses, social security numbers. Um, it goes much further than that. It even to say the license plate on their car, a looking at their uh, a picture of their face, a picture of a portion of their face, all of this information are identifiers, and we cannot share those with other people. So when we look at those kind of things that fit together here, we've got to understand that we can't be talking about any protected health information, which is called a PHI. P-H-I. Yeah. And what does that stand for? Protected health information. Okay. Protected health information is created or received, and it's covered. When we look at how it's covered, it relates to not only the right now when that patient comes in, but what's happened in the past or what could happen in the future with physical or mental health of an individual. And physical health includes oral health. It identifies the individual or contains reasonable information that can be used to identify the individuals. So again, it's not just things like your name, your address, your phone number. It's also medical records. It's also diagnosis. It's also photographs or images. We can't be sharing those, nor can we be taking our cell phones and taking a picture of them to use outside the dental office. And that's what we are seeing quite a bit of on these social media forums. You know, there was, there was one that you and I both saw at the same time, and, and I actually posted about it. And it still kind of bothers me that, first of all, the fact that you're saying it's your patient and your healthcare provider, you've just identified one of, it could be 3,000 patients, and you are in HIPAA violation. Mm-hmm. Um, at that specific post, I actually printed it out because it bothered me so much. And it said, patient came in today, so there's your first identifier, Yep. for a clearance of a valve replacement, so there's your diagnosis that they shouldn't have been sharing, had not been to the dentist in over 20 years, there's another identifier, 
had multiple infections and needed perio treatment, another identifier. This is one of the worst ones. She left mad, another identifier. The doctor would not sign her form, um, her clear, the form clearing her. I thought it's interesting, um, and th- this is the person talking that posted, that the abscess was shaped like a heart, another identifier. Well, on top of that, they actually posted the x-ray that was clearly taken with a cell phone. They didn't have permission from the patient to be doing that. And the way that we get permission from the patient, it can't just be that they signed a HIPAA paper. It has to be that uh, the HIPAA paper would have to say that you're going to put this on social media. So Mm. you would have to get something from the patient saying that they're okay with you posting this on social media. And it's not just, because you'll see this in post a lot too, um, patient gave me permission. Patient gave you permission. That's not good enough. You would have to have that signature. You would have to have that form. You would have to post that to, to prove that that's true. And it would have to end there, say that which form of social media it's going on and what it's going to be used for. So mm, the first okay. rule of using social media for healthcare providers is never disclose information on social media channels. And it the second uh thing that I would say is never disclose protected healthcare information on social media. You know, HIPAA was formed long before Facebook was formed. So it's not going to say the specifics of don't be on uh, on social media, don't post on PHI on social media, but it is so specific about what you cannot do and that you can only do it for specific reasons and they have to be mentioned in the consent form. And I've yet to see a consent form that says, please, po- I, we are going to be posting this on Facebook. Now, I want you to get, though, both of you to get this because it's so important. Social media channels can be used by the dental office. They can be used by dental professionals. But what they're there for is to give health tips, details of events that you're having at your office, the bios of staff, marketing messages, but it's not to include information that has to do with patient diagnosis or any of that information that is supposed to be protected by you. As kind of an adjacent question, though, what about using those same pictures in lectures and things like that? Does the consent form have to specify that it'll be used in that type of setting? That is such a great question, Andrew. And and as a speaker, it's been very specific for me. For me, you know, I get to see those patients that are dealing with addiction. And many of my patients have um, their mouth reflects what's going on in their life. And that happens a lot for us. And one of the things that I've had to do over the years is I've had to have a threefold form. My form has to say on it, who I'm going to be presenting it to, for what purposes, and the biggest part is that I I have to do no harm. So when I'm presenting, I have to go to the patient, tell them where I'm going to present, how I'm going to present. Their rights don't go away just because I'm putting it in a PowerPoint. And one of the things that happened to me a few years ago that I will never forget and has made me be very cautious about how I do things is I... Um, had written a piece and and put together a PowerPoint, 
and presented it, had a release from the patient to use it in my presentation, but not to sh- not for the audience to share it with other people. So I have always asked my audience, if you see a picture of my patient, please do not take a picture of that. So unfortunately, the person put it on social media and the person's mother found out about what their child was dealing with through social media. No. So, so I've Gosh. had to be very careful how I do this now. And you'll notice now that I don't show full body um, cases. I show you specifics on a specific tooth or a specific condition. And I've had to make it so that it is not showing what we would have been able to show in the past. Um, remember that when we look at social media it can go into disciplinary action, and, and we know that there's been cases where people have been fired and up to 30 days in jail and have and have even a couple of cases where they even lost their license. The, the most common things, according to HIPAA, when I um, was researching this, was posting images and videos of patients without written consent, posting gossip about patients. And one of the cases was a nurse posted gossip about a patient who happened to be the cousin of one of the um, patients. And that person actually lost their job because the cousin reported it. It went back to HIPAA. She had done a, a screenshot of it. And sure enough, they could identify who the patient was because of the disease she was dealing with. Posting information that could allow the individual to be identified. And again, when we put an x-ray up there, no two teeth are the same. No two root canals are the same. Sharing photographs or images taken inside a healthcare facility in which the patients are PHI are visible. So in, in my clinic, and I'm the director of a program, I don't allow cell phones in the clinic at all. And that's because one of the cases... A patient was sitting across from another patient, turned his phone, and took pictures of the things that were on the screen on the on the chair across from him. So we have to really make sure that there are no cell phones in, in these open areas. Sharing photos or videos or texting or social media platforms within a private group, it doesn't matter if it's a private group. You're still not allowed to share that information without distinct and direct permission. And so, okay, that brings me to uh, the the Facebook private groups because you see time and time again pictures of people uh, treating patients. You see screenshots of x-rays and intraorals. Um, you see people, you know, they'll pull out their own iPhone and take a picture of the patient and then always write, the patient gave me permission to share. And I know um, a lot of these forums have been ways to disseminate information and get help from people. So I know that that's kind of like the pushback on that. So, and I understand what you're saying, because where do we go? How do we go peer to peer? So there is, um, within the act, there is a a way to do this when we look at what HIPAA has asked us to do. So if if I had a problem with someone with perio, I would ask the patient permission to talk to a periodontist about the case, and I would get that in writing. The mutual patient, we can talk peer-to-peer. You know, in running my private practice, there's many times when I've had to have patients sign something saying, I need to go talk to someone else about your case, and then getting permission in order to go do that. 
Um, the thing that we have to watch out for here, though, is, again, I can talk about different diseases. I can say, how do you guys deal with Sjogren's? Or I can say different things like that, but it is not, we're not supposed to be diagnosing, diagnosing online. And, and especially as a hygienist, we put ourselves up for a lot of um, ramifications there. Remember that posting verbal gossip about a patient or unauthorized by, uh, to unauthorized individuals, even if the name is not di- disclosed, it's illegal. So we can't share photographs or any form of personal health information without written consent from a patient. And it has to be specific Specific if you're going to go beyond the norms. Um, so, for instance, if, if I had a patient in my chair and I say, can I post this in a Tale of Two Hygienist Facebook page and get others' opinions and they sign that, then we're okay. You, you, um, as long as it's not going to be disseminated anyplace else, can you guarantee me it's not going to be de- no. disseminated anyplace else? And that's the mistaken belief yeah. that posts are private or that if they've been, been be- deleted, that they're not there anymore. The thing is, is I can come onto your screen. I can take a picture of, of what you just posted and I can put it someplace else. We've seen people do it a dozen times. So you would have to be on a closed ne- network that was completely closed and and nothing was removable from that network in order to be able to do that. Um, You know, sometimes we think, oh, I'm just sharing an innocent comment or I just had a bad day at work. Um, You got to think about who you could be impacting here. And this Mm -hmm. is private health information for a reason. There's stigmas associated with many, many diseases we know those dealing with mental health, there's still a stigma within the medical profession and the public about people that have the disease that consists of mental health diseases or diseases like addiction. And that can change their life. And you have a responsibility to not share that information. You know, I think yeah. part of the thing here is you've got to have in your office, you've got to have policies. Okay, if someone... Let's say we did the whole written consent and we put it in this group to get that peer-to-peer review and but someone what, pulls it from it. Is that on me or on them? It's on you. You just posted Still. it on an open forum. Hmm. And, and they, uh, they're, not their, they're not their healthcare provider. They could be impacted too if they continue to share the information mm-hmm. just like the pharmaceutical company. But the biggest part is you took the information from the office and you made it public. Peer to peer means that we're going to be in a closed group where where nobody can hack into the the um, the system in order to get that information, and it's it's a fallacy if you think that you're in a closed group when you go on to some of these social media things. Yeah, I I loved um, one of the closed groups that I belonged to, where someone had complained about their doctor, and she went to work on Monday and was fired. And he had holding in his hand the paper that she had posted in this closed group. I mean, the statement she had posted in this closed group. He had gone on there and said he was an RDH and became part of the group. Oh. (laughs) So we really don't know. We have no way of telling who the peers are on that group. There is no way to tell it. And so when we say peer-to-peer, that means you got to be able to prove that's your peer. And so we're we're seeing it constantly too. Like this so what is what are going to be and when 
could we start seeing some repercussions to, it's to a, professionals? It's, oh, it's already happen, happened in the nursing profession a lot. And the nurse, in the nursing profession, there's a lot of different stories where, for example, they posted someone in a comical um, look where he was dressed um, in his underwear on his bed in the hospital. Well, that's not okay. That's patient privacy again, and that is something that you're that, that you're responsible for. And the, those nurses lost their jobs, were fined, and one of them was put in jail for thirty days. And Whoa. I I I don't want to I I don't want to downplay this because we got to start looking at solutions. And one of them is every office is supposed to have a policies and procedures for use of social media for marketing including how they standardize and market takes place on with social media accounts. And then if you want to um, put anything online, you've got to go through legal before you make that decision yourself. I, I, if I was going to be posting pictures that were not in a closed site and were not for educational purposes and had not, had not been through an institutional review board or through the proper channels, I wouldn't use it. We can talk about diseases. We cannot talk about patients on social media. We got to train all the staff on acceptable social media about where cell phones belong in the office. We got to communicate the penalties that happen when people do violate this. And we got to continually monitor what's happening in the dental office. That includes like people, I see this all the time, a picture of another hygienist working on a patient who has their cell phone up in the air and they complain like, oh, like the patient can't even put their cell phone down. But you can see their shoes, you can see the back of their head, that you can see like all these identifiable markers on them. And you don't know if there's another hygienist in that area that takes a screenshot and is like, oh, hey, Dave, I saw that you were at the dentist the other day. And then then you have this complete HIPAA violation. So HIPAA requires the covered entities be responsible and that they be aware of what's happening around them. So the dentist, the office manager, all of those people need to take all the necessary precautions to make sure that that's not happening in the office. And patients can't come back and take pictures if you have an open bay because there could be other patients being having pictures taken care of. And I know this isn't easy. It's not fun. But if we want to make sure that we are all um, really working on this together. And so um, I came up with a few things on the do's and the don'ts. Don't ever tell anyone what you overhear about a patient. And that means not only don't tell the people on the outside, but you're not supposed to be going up to the receptionist and saying, you'll never believe what so-and-so said. Don't, and you know it happens all the time. All the time. And don't discuss a patient in public areas such as elevators, hallways, and cafeterias. And do not ever go on the computer and look up patients' information for your own interest. In other words, if you're going on there to look at them as a patient, great. But don't use your computer for your own personal reasons. That includes, though, surfing the network information could come from one end to the other. Um, do close the doors in the patient's room when you're discussing treatment. Log off the computer when you're finished. And dispose of patient information by shredding it or destroying it before it leaves your office. Clear the patient information off your desk when you leave. And then keep in mind that when you go on the, the computer, never share your password. 
Um, don't remove equipment or disks or software. And do not take patient information home. And don't take pictures with your own personal camera or phone. That's interesting because I definitely worked for a doc once, like way back when, when we had paper charts and um, they would take the charts home and finish them and bring them back each day. Did they have a locked case? Because there's some people Mm -hmm. like me where I'm able, you know, I'm going from place to place to serve the public. So I have a locked case that can't be out of my sight at any time. So Mm. I can't just leave it in my car. And one of the cases was someone who put information in their car, their car was broken into, and then they were responsible for that. So as I go out on, on the street and see those dealing with homelessness, or I go in and work with patients dealing with end of life, I have to keep that box with me all the time and it has to be locked and it has to be secure. And that's where you really want to to really read through HIPAA and make sure that you understand it before you start your own practice. Um, it's, it's, it's a big responsibility. If he wants to take that home and he's not using a computer at home because he couldn't, it's got to be a closed circuit unless he has got a, a part of the closed circuit within his house, um, you can't just use another computer and then pull it off the other computer. It's got to be a HIPAA-compliant com- computer. What about apps on phones where we're recommending product to patients? Okay, so that's another thing um, that is completely separate from HIPAA. Because remember when, when I was saying at the beginning, that w- the reason we want to use social media is we're going to educate patients. So if it's an educational piece that doesn't have their private information, you're fine. That's a great way of doing things. If it's not an educational piece, then we've got an issue. So for instance, if you're recommending a product and you put their email and first name in your in this app and send it over to them. You can't do not- that. No, they would have to put their name and email in the app they and, have and to. Sign, to, sign up for it. You can't do that for them. That falls into ah. that same pharmaceutical company issue. Because I can't sign you up unless I've got you to sign a paper that specifically names that. I can't sign you up without your permission. So does the app have to be on their personal phone then, or can you have a device in the office, like an iPad or something that they can sign into? I believe that you could have a, I, that's a really good question, Andrew, and I'm not 100% sure on that, but it would make sense to me that if you want to have a computer for them to access in the lobby to do something like that, that you could. The biggest part is I can't have the computer that's used for private health information in the lobby or access to patients. So it couldn't be that same computer. Mm. So you'd have to have a computer devoted to that or an iPad devoted to that. And so what if it's on your personal phone? Because that is definitely happening quite a bit. So if the patient puts their own information because they want the product, that kind of relinquishes you? I I would be Cautious. concerned I would be cautious on having patient information on my phone. So patient information should go on the patient's phone, not on my phone or to a devoted phone within the... No, I I don't think you could even do that because we're not supposed to have patient information where it could be gathered by other people. So no. Good questions. Hmm. Uh, You know, I mean, technology is... Amazing. It's great for patient education, but we are walking a very fine line. And so we have to be 
we have to think about it and be critical thinkers when we start integrating all these fun things for our patients, but it's, it could cost us a lot of money. And, you know, when you think about this, it's the penalties for privacy violations. The maximum fine is $25,000 per violation and a maximum of 10 years in jail or the 20 or and or the $25,000 fine depending on how serious it is but this could be also impacting everyone from the person who owns the business to the person that committed this so remember that the office for civil rights is who the patient's going to complain to and the patient has the right to do that and you'll see commercials on TV now, with lawyers saying, were your HIPAA uh, rights violated? And if they were, somebody has some responsibility here. So is it the Office for Civil Rights who is also the like the disciplinary body? Or is that just then they get that information to lawyers and it's now a legal thing? Well, it's actually um, Health and Human Services that HIPAA falls underneath. So that could be a federal offense. So it could go through depends on on how it's set up within within the the law. So the big part, one of the big things that's missing is the fact that we're supposed to have HIPAA training within a dental office and the protected health information should have been, everyone should have been trained to it and a lot of places haven't. So if I go violate and I work for a dentist, that dentist is going to be held responsible too because they didn't follow through on training me on it. We have to really look at the individual office and see what it is they're doing. I feel like at this point in our conversation, a lot of our listeners are probably going to be wondering about now all these third-party resources that we use at the dental office. So, for example, if you are having a call center of some sort, making all your re, uh, your recall reminders or even a company that puts out postcards for you, what is the standard information declarations or whatever the patients are signing to allow that to happen. So when they say their their HIPAA the the HIPAA paperwork that the patient is signing who they, they may disclose the information to, this would be part of that. You'd want to make sure that on there if you're using one of those kind of entities that you um that you know. So remember that we we are allowed to use it for treatment, for payment, for healthcare options. And that should be on the on the HIPAA form that they're signing. And if we're using these other things, um, we want to get written authorization to allow us to be doing that. So there's some exceptions to that. And some of the exceptions that can fall into place have to do with law enforcement. For example, if somebody came in and was trying to find information and we were subpoenaed, then we have to allow law enforcement to see that. There's some public health specifics where we would allow them to see it without a without um, HIPAA authorization. But basically, things like what you just described, where you're giving it to um, to an entity, you've got to make sure that they're following those same guidelines. Um, treatment things like direct treatment of the patient, consultation amongst health providers, um, indirect treatments such as laboratories. Um, or a patient referral from one person to another, that's part of treatment. So we are allowed to share that information. When somebody brings you their insurance, that is covered by HIPAA. HIPAA, um, this includes 
billing and eligibility, things like medically necessary determinations. All of those things are important and you are allowed to get that information, but make sure you're covering it on on the things that you're saying. So it's probably a good idea for those of us in the back office to go see those forms and see what we have on file. Absolutely. And who can turn you in? Is it just the patient who feels violated or can another health care professional turn you in? So it's not just the patient. Um, The most common thing is the patient who's who's, um, discovered that their information's been shared in one way or another. But it's also um, other healthcare providers. It's other agencies. Uh, one of the cases was a health department that turned in a dental office for um, sharing information, and that had to do with the hygienist who took the records out of the dental office to the new dental office that she was in. And one of the patients called and complained to the health department. The health department, in turn, reported the hygienist, um, and the hygienist said she wasn't aware that she couldn't take records of patients so that she could contact them when she moved from one dentist to another. It baffles me that people don't. (laughs) I, you know, Michelle and Andrew, it's it's common sense. Yeah, common sense is not so common sometimes. We, (laughs) you know, we serve patients for such long periods of time when we work in a dental office and it almost feels like this is my family. I want to take care of them. I've taken care of them for X number of years. And, and in that true. particular case, the hygienist, the, the practice got bought out. So she thought those were her patients, put them on a jump drive, took them to another office and contacted them. We can't do that. Those records do not belong to us. They belong to the patient and we're supposed to be protecting them. You know, the biggest thing I think with, with and Andrew, I'm so, so, so glad that you said common sense because one of the things that I've been trying to teach my students is the common sense of where are you, who might overhear, and who might see. So where are you when you're talking about this patient? Who might overhear what you're saying? And who might see what I've got laid out here? Having that screen on the computer that doesn't allow people to see it, that are not supposed to be seeing it, that's one of the ways to really protect people. Positioning monitors so nobody else can view it for you, but you, and having it turn to black after 10 seconds of not being touched, important things. And one of the things that I noticed in one of the offices that I went to recently is they had a printer in the lobby, and they would print things walk out to the lobby and pick it up. Well, these were diagnosing things. What? They're not supposed to be in public or unsecured areas. And I know that's exactly what I said. What? Were they struggling for space in the Like, I can't even comprehend why that well, would be there. The reason they did that was because they wanted one large printer in the area so they had the front desk and the back using the same printer, and it was a very large printer, but we still have r- rules and responsibilities. Wow. I mean, that's a good point, yeah. though, too, because you're constantly printing off treatment plans or examples of what this looks like, a picture or maybe a product. I know um, in the past I've actually printed off some product recommendations for the patient so they could go back to Amazon and get those things. But then... They also, even if you hand them to those patients in the back, they're holding those as you're walking out also. Yeah. So should we be having 
folders or something for them to... It's up to the patient whether they want other people to see it. Once it comes out of your hand and it's in their hand, that's their responsibility. That's on them. But when you're taking care of it, you know, it's, that's a whole other responsibility. So a couple of the things that I've noticed lately is I went into one office and somebody was surfing the net and going on to their email and then back out and then coming back onto Dentrex. Well, that that computer should be devoted to taking care of patients. If you're going on the internet, you have the possibility of number one, bringing a virus in. Number two, it would allow people to have an open space to copy something, paste it, and send it out. And we can't do that. So, and I'm sure, I mean, I'm definitely guilty of that, like having the internet and doing just like Andrew said, where, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, no, you'll want to use this mouth rinse. Let me print it so you know what it looks like. But like you said, that is kind of an open source to inviting things onto that computer. Oh, it absolutely is. And, you know, we are here to safeguard people. We're here to safeguard their personal health information, which means we have to inconvenience ourselves many, many times. And we have to be thinking about what it is to um, that is going to be identifiable. And Andrew, you brought up something really important. If we're doing a treatment plan, if we're doing a payment with the patient, all of that is protective information because many times in dentistry, unlike some other um, professions, a diagnosis will occur because if I'm if if it on says on the tr- on the treatment plan or on the on the payment that you had a root canal, that's that's private information. So handing that to someone or discussing it with someone in the earshot of other people is really important to think about what we should be doing. Do you have recommendations for referrals? Like if we're doing electronic referrals, it obviously can't come from our personal email to the endodontist that says, hey, please do a root canal number 19. Here's a picture of the patient's uh, x-ray. And uh, how would you recommend then that electronic communication goes? um, A lot of times you'll have a system within your system to to have it in a locked system. area in order to send it from one to the other. You can use the patient as a messenger and put it on a floppy disk or a removable disk. Um, You can also fax things, but I'm not a big fan of faxing because, again, if you're going to fax, you got to call ahead and say, first put a cover sheet and say, can you stand by the fax machine till you receive this? Because it's private information. And many times the fax machine isn't where I would like it to be. There is no easy answer to what you just asked, except to have a devoted um, place within the office and talk to your IT people. And make sure that it's closed so that nobody can hack it. I actually heard the other day um, that someone's fax machine, like an office was broken into and the fax machine was stolen because the fax machine actually stores Mm -hmm. all that information on it. And so they had... yep. Social security numbers from insurance cards and all of that. And they actually sold that information on whatever the black market is. So now if there was health, um, health insurance, portability and accountability act information that would fall into the categories that we've been talking about on that, you would have to report that you would Mm -hmm. have to report that and make sure that the 
that the patients are notified that that happened. That kind of a violation is what we're talking about. That's why we have the things that we have. Um, it's to protect you from what you just described. How often are we seeing, I know that dentistry as a profession is, I hear pretty active on social media compared to other medical professions. I mean, is this something that we are seeing with other, like you said, nurses have already started to get violations over certain things, but has anybody had to deal with it from the social media standpoint in other professions? The cases that I've been able to find um, so far have not been prosecuted in the same manner as other cases. A lot of them have been slap on the wrist kind of things, but I'm sure that it's going to come to that um, very soon. Uh, this is a public law, and it's like I said, it's overseen by the Department of um, Health and Human Services and enforced by the Office of Civil Rights. So, see, Andrew, I knew I knew it in the back of my head. <laughs> so, so if someone notifies them, they're going to look into it. And sooner or later, somebody's cousin is going to see something online that shouldn't be happening. So, Michelle, I wish I had a simple answer on that one. This is an uncharted territory. But we do know with what's happened with medical assistants, people in nursing homes, um, nurses, doctors, those cases that we've seen where information was shared that shouldn't have been shared. It's, it's really important that we stay on top of this. And so you gave us the don'ts. Have we kind of hit all the do's? Again, with the with the computer access, only be using it for the proper purposes to take care of patients. Don't serve the internet. Don't um, make sure that you uh, open attachments to emails unless it's a trusted source. Don't install applications unless approved by uh you know, we've seen where somebody went in and installed an application that took the information off the computer. So make sure that you're getting the right things on there and that you're having IT uh, check it on a regular basis. Biggest part that I would say for hygienists is stop putting, pa uh, don't take pictures of patients, x-rays of any identifying um, material to post onto Facebook or Twitter or anyplace else. If you have a question, just ask the question or go to a specialist to get that. Are going on there that you're making sure that you're not sharing any information that you wouldn't share in the medical setting with the proper people. So in other words, I'm not gonna go in the room next to my um, operatory and go in and tell the next patient about what's happening in, in the other room. And I, I would want that, that same thing to happen on the internet. We can't be posting people's personal health information, which includes x-rays, which includes photos of their face, which includes lesions. This is their private protected information. So even as something as simple as like, um, because I'm going to say I've definitely probably done this in my career where I was like, uh, Dr. Jones is going to be right in here. He just wanted to let you know he's finishing up a crown margin or a crown or a filling or something, and he'll be right in here. But that you is shouldn't be doing that. That's protected health information about the person next to you. Yeah. Um, I years ago I had this patient come in and and she had recently gotten married, and I um, went into the room that her current husband was in to let him know she'd be ready in a couple of minutes. 
and hand him the car keys so he could wait in the car. And I said, yeah, we're just getting her denture cleaned. And this was me fresh out of school some 25 years ago. I had no idea that he didn't know she had a full upper denture. And the look on that man's face. And that's when I, this is before this law was even in place. That's when I learned that we don't disclose information about our patients. It's a sacred thing that we do. We're trusted with information that can make a difference in a patient's life. You know, knowing that someone has a full mouth of crowns or knowing that someone has what their past, present, or future is that is reflected in their mouth really does make a difference. We took an oath. We said that we were going to do no harm. And we can be doing harm just by going online and putting this information out there. If you need peer-to-peer information, it shouldn't be done in this manner. That's not the forum to be doing this in. And I think also, you know, we get very comfortable in our profession, right? Like everyone's getting a cleaning, everyone's getting crowns, everyone's getting a root canal. And so we kind of mitigate those procedures in a way. But I can't imagine going to a gastroenterologist and him talking about God knows what medical problem I could have or, and then even though that that's very normal in their profession, it it would be very embarrassing to somebody else. And so we don't know how someone feels about other people knowing they've had a root canal or a crown, or like you said, this denture. And I've had quite a few patients where the wives were like, my husband doesn't even know that I have a denture. And I'm like, wow. Wow. Yeah, it was a big learning curve for me. And, you know, one of the things that was said to me recently when someone got very irritated because I said, this isn't something that should be posted on social media. She said, well, I didn't know that. Well, I got to tell you, I'm sorry. Not only is it our, our, our responsibility to know the current laws, but it's our responsibility to abide by them. So not knowing is not an excuse. The Joint Commission standards here the patient's right to have confidentiality of all information that is provided to the healthcare professionals and institution is your responsibility. And healthcare professionals have to ensure that the patient information is secured at all times. And that's why, like I said, if I'm going to carry something from one place to another, I'm never going to leave it in the car. It's going to be handcuffed to me almost. And and there are and if there are any complaints that those complaints are resolved in a timely manner. So if a patient complains about you or I complain about you or anybody complains about you, you need to take the responsibility and do something about it because these federal safeguards that were put in place can impact the patient. They can impact your career. And this this rule took took effect back in 2003 and we better, dentistry is never static and we better be aware of what these are. So as we kind of wrap up, is there a, just so our listeners can, we can really just simplify all the things that we just said, especially when we look at social media posting, is there a right way for us to have that peer-to-peer conversation to help disseminate information or gather information so that we can be better clinicians or treat our patients Better. Whatever you would, whatever you would be willing to say in an elevator, where everybody can hear exactly what you're saying, is the only thing that should be said on social media. 
the the part that I want you to get that the protected health information or PHI that we have that responsibility. So if I want to talk to peer to peer, that means I need to either go to someone within my office, such as another hygienist, or to the dentist, or I need to get a hold of the endodontist and make sure the patient's aware that the dentist and I are going to be talking to them to look at their case. Or if it's oral pathology, which is something I never get, why would you post on the on the internet what you're looking for that should be at a pathologist office? That's just postponing what the patient's real needs are. If it's that scary and it's that involved, we gotta we gotta take a stand here and we gotta start making sure it's getting to the right resource. We've got to get the patient where they belong and social media is not the place to do that. Totally agree. So Noel, any final thoughts for our listeners and also where can they contact you and find information and are you speaking? Do you have any engagements coming up? Um, actually, this is the year that I have been um, directing a dental hygiene program. So I'm not doing the 98 speeches this year. I'm only doing a few at some of the larger meetings this year. Um, you can always go on my website, which is noelkelch.com, um, and find me there if you have questions for me. Um, I also still have my infection control quit, uh, with a twist Facebook page if you ever have infection control questions. Um, next year, I'll step it up and speak a little bit more, but I took some time off to finish some of the clinical research I had been doing on water safety and some other products. So this is my year to kind of stay focused on my writing. So awesome. thank you for having me, Michelle and, and Andrew. It's always wonderful to get to spend some time with you both. No, and we do thank appreciate you. so much your knowledge and sharing this with our listeners because this is a topic that it needed to be talked about. So we appreciate this. Well, I am so glad that you brought this up. And just to remind everyone, it's so important that we give the minimum necessary information in order to keep that patient safe and that what you do, and I appreciate that 99.9% .9 of you are out there doing this in the manner that you should be. And I hope this helps those who didn't have the information of, about the protected health care information to be a, able to um, understand why we would never put that on the internet where it can be copied and pasted. Now, perfect advice. So thank you again. So yeah, as promised, that was amazing. Lots of information. Make sure you're writing them down. Go back and listen to this episode again. Share it with your like friends. Like we said, yeah, share it with your friends. Yep. So And tell them there's pretty much an episode on everything these days. <laughs> so if you see people talking about something and you know you heard it on the podcast, share the episode because mm -hmm. I think that will help disseminate that information. Um, we can't see it all and you get the most amazing content from our guests. Right, so right. why not spread it? Um, I also want to say we talked about being at the booth with Zerk, but we also went to the booth at PDT and met one of our awesome listeners, Juliet. Juliet yeah. And we also went to Crown Seating and met one of our awesome listeners, Lisa, who also wrote a, a review for us. And so we love that if you guys are interested in any of the things that you've heard about or the people that you've heard on the podcast, reach out to them, reach out to us. We'd love to hopefully cultivate some kind of relationship if that's it you know, what you're looking for. But if we, we showed the Gleason guide or I showed yeah. the Gleason guide, that's awesome. I, and I watched you show the Gleason guide. Well, and the thing is like, 
come find us at these these yes. meetings. We, we want to share what we the mm-hmm. little bit that we actually do know about stuff. And then if we don't know, we can put you in, in contact with the right people at the right booths to be able to figure this stuff out. Yes, so I agree. there's a lot of a lot of knowledge to be learned on the floor, not just getting free samples. Absolutely. So we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions, you're welcome to email us at a tale to hygienist at gmail.com. Please head over to our website and subscribe at a tale to hygienist.com. Eventually one day we're going to do something cool with that. And you can also find episodes and resources there. And then like us on Facebook and Instagram. I am loving all of your messages, comments, direct messages, all of that amazing so like it and um, we hope to see you and talk to you next week all right take care everyone bye y'all